This is the Amplify Your Business with Matt J. Hannon podcast, where I have candid conversations with inspiring people and turn topics inside out to help you get amplified in business and in life. Hey guys, today's a special episode because I'm sharing a conversation I had with Ryan Serhant. You might know Ryan from Million Dollar Listing and the spin-off show Sell It Like Serhant. He's a New York best-selling author for his book, Sell It Like Serhant. And the reason why we're here today with Ryan is that I bought a bunch of his books and I gave them out to a bunch of you, um, hopefully you listeners, uh, for, for our Get Amplified events. In this episode, we'll chat with Ryan about how social media can be used to get yourself out there and how it can change your business, how to stay focused on the bigger picture and how to make genuine connections with people in business. Ryan's team sells tens of millions of dollars of real estate every single month. He's not messing about. Find out how Ryan changed his mindset to become a big player in the real estate game. This episode was recorded at the start of the year and I actually held back on releasing it as we unfortunately got stuck speaking when Ryan was driving back from New York or back to New York from the Hamptons. The audio is a little rough, which I'm not too fond of, but nonetheless, there's some really amazing value in this conversation and uh, I've been persuaded to share it with you. I'm joined on the call by Justin Bourne, who's the director at Blank Canvas Studios and also my co-host of the Simple Minds podcast. So he joins in. Uh, this is our call with Ryan. Here it is. I hope he gets some great value. Enjoy. Um, we both sort of work in the property space as well. I, I certainly have some clients um, for my digital agency in, in property development and project marketing and and Justin runs a, a rendering uh, company that sort of span span Australia and uh, do a lot of the off plan. Oh, sorry, a lot, lot of the three um, D visualization work for new projects in Australia. Sure. Um, if I want to, I might dive straight in. I just the question I had is, you know, how important do you find social media in your in your project marketing strategy? Uh, the social media is getting more and more important every day. Is it integral? to my sales and marketing now? Not really. Um, Is it helpful because I have such a large platform already? Yes. You know, social media is very similar to me to like the blog and to million dollar listing. You know, it's added exposure and what it's really for, honestly, isn't selling individual properties. It's really for me. It's for the individual brand of myself, so that the more people who know that I sell real estate, the better. Um, and so that's why I do it so much, and that's why I push it, to consistently remind the follower base and the trickle-down uh, contacts, right? Because every single one of my followers and subscribers knows, what, 100 people, something like that? You know, they all I need is one person to see one of the posts, and then it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. But I will say that we just sold a townhouse for $13 million in the U.S. in the city, in New York, uh, because I posted a video of it on YouTube. And it, it's not like the buyer bought it over YouTube, but the daughter of the buyer saw the video on YouTube, sent it to her mom, and said, hey, I know you're not looking for a house like this or in this area of the city, but check this out, and you should go see it. And it 
reached this woman, and she came and saw it. She saw it three times. She fell in love with it. And she bought it for thirteen million dollars, and she never would have known about it otherwise had it not been on YouTube. So that's kind of where you know it, it, it's another form of advertising and marketing um, that you can have a little fun with. Yeah, and and with your personal brand, then I mean, we obviously have seen the show and the vlogs, but uh, we're not in New York. We don't see what the other brokers are doing out there um, necessarily. Does that does that really give you a, a leverage point in in closing business as well? I mean, are you able to use and do you do you lean on your your platform and your status yeah. quite heavily? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I listen. I am shameless. I have to be. You know, there's. There are 80,000, 80,000, 80, 80, 80, real estate agents in New York City that I have to compete with every single day. And only about 11,500 homes will actually sell in a given year. So well. I have to use every step up that I have, you know? And listen, I, I use all of my exposure and I scream it from a mountaintop in part because I don't have what a lot of other agents that I'm competing with have. You know, I didn't come from a family that helped me. I, I didn't come from New York City. I didn't go to school here. I don't work at one of the top offices and have help from my CEO. Yeah, I started at the bottom renting apartments. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I've watched it for a long time, and I mean, it was very different. The law, the book, everything as much as possible. Yeah. Obviously, with with Million Dollar Listing, I mean, that was... I mean, that was really um, early days reality TV in a lot of ways. Um, and so you, you've got a front foot yeah. there. But do you think, and I guess, did, did each platform sort of help along the way? I mean, even the vlog, it sounded like you, you got a bit frustrated with the vlog and then and then you realized, hang on, people are starting to see me in the street and it started to explode. I mean, you would have naturally thought your, your brand would have flowed through, but maybe YouTube was a bit of a new pool of, um, of audience for you. Vlog a year ago. So January of 2018, and the idea behind it really was to hedge my bet against television, because when Million Dollar Listing started, you know, reality TV was not as huge as it is today, but it was growing, and it grew really fast, and now, because of YouTube, and Netflix, and Amazon, and all these other platforms, you know, and my audience that watches television is getting older and older and older. And older people don't move a lot. <laughs> the older you get, the less you want to buy and sell homes. So the younger audience, the minute I started doing the vlog, people aged 15 to 30, really, started stopping me on the street saying, hey man, you're, you're Ryan Sturian from YouTube. And it like literally blows my mind because I spent the last 10 years being recognized on the street for a million dollar listing and for tell like their hands and big, you know, big cable TV shows that are walked around the world that everyone from 15 to 30 had never known about or seen before because they don't even own a television. And so it's a whole new, you know, it's a whole new consumer base who will eventually have enough money to buy a home. And I want them to think of me and I need to hit them now until it's too late, right? I don't want to be the guy that's like, that, that the internet wasn't going to change the world when when it was, you know, like everything's going to change. So just jumping back into the development side of things, um, you know, uh, one thing that I've noticed you do really well um, over the years is be really creative. 
um, you know, developers seem to want sort of unprecedented um, results. Yet at the same time, we certainly find over here as well they they want to just do the same as their neighbour. They're almost more concerned about what their peers think of their their marketing and advertising and and their building than than maybe what the, the appropriate uh, buyer is. What do you you know? What are some strategies that you use to sort of convince uh, you know landowners or the development companies to to sort of do something different and make their their building or project stand out? There are thousands and thousands of other options that every buyer can buy. So you either have to be in the greatest location ever, in which buyers then don't care about all the other competition. And if you are in the greatest location ever, like on a park or on the water, or you've got that amazing brand address, um, you don't have to do much. But if you're not, and you're like everybody else, and you're on a good block or a good street, or you have you know good views but not the best, then you have to set yourself apart. And you do that through, you know, almost, for me, it's been a lot of shock marketing. So really graphic marketing campaign. You know, we just launched a building in uh, Chelsea in New York City for people who, you know, haven't been to New York City. It's on the west side of Manhattan. Um, and it's this weird area. Kind of, it's technically not Chelsea. I mean, it's above Chelsea and right south of Hudson Yards. And no one knew what the area was called. So I convinced the developer. I said, listen, we have 19 apartments to sell here. They're expensive. We need to brand this entire location along with the building. And we're going to name the building after the location. So we're going to call it a location south of Hudson Yard, which is S-O-H-Y. And we're going to pronounce it so high. And people are going to think that's really weird. And people are going to think we're like a marijuana dispensary. And people are going to remember it, and they're going to talk about it, and they're going to show up here, and the exposure is going to make them buy. And that's exactly what's happened. So you have to think outside the box and go bigger more often than not, just because there's so much competition, you know, at least in the market today anyway. Do you find that um, all the, I guess, your your history and, I guess, your resume and achievements, or, and I guess coupled with the personal brand help, you kind of get the developers over the line on these wacky ideas because, yeah, like Matt suggested, we kind of always fight a uphill battle of these. I mean, most development companies, I'm not sure what it's like over there, but they're run by, you know, older crew who have done it yeah. a certain way and, um, oh, that worked on the last project. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, do you find that, yeah, the personal brand helps uh, enable more constructive and creative conversations? A little, yeah. I mean, for sure. But <clears throat> I wouldn't say it's my personal brand. I'd say it's confidence. Right? The way that I'm able to convince people to do what I want them to do, whether my marketing ideas are crazy or, or not, is one, success begets success. So, you know, I'm able to point to other developments and other projects that I've done where the marketing has been pretty crazy, and say, listen, it works here, it works here, it works here, and it's going to work for you too. So don't worry, that's going to be one reason why I'm able to do it. And then the second reason is just pure from a point of unwavering confidence. No matter what, whether it works or doesn't work, I know that I'm going to work my ass off, and what I'm going to do, even if it scares you, is going to work. We're going to make this happen. And 
you know, there's a level of trust there. I mean, it's like like working with a doctor, right? You want a doctor who, even if the surgery is crazy and never done before, they're going to agree to it if that doctor has an amazing level of confidence in their skills to do that procedure. And you're going to say, you know what? I understand this is life or death, but I trust you, doctor. Let's do it. You know, because the risk is then, you know, hopefully outweighed by what the reward will be, which is selling out the building, or my doctor analogy, will be saving your fucking life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's an element, um, I guess, of that as well. So, with um, uh, with project marketing, um, mainly I guess developments that are kind of off the plan. So, I do a lot of uh, CGI, the three D renders for new developments for top developers here in Australia. So, you know, all the new apartment buildings go up here. We do the animation, the stills, etc. Now, I guess as it's a two part question. Um, just to hear it, I guess, from yourself, because I kind of know the answer, but how important is visual content? And then secondly, secondary, where do you see the technology? Like, have you dappled in, in VR? And what's your opinion on, I guess, the, the whole virtual reality um, thing? Do you see that changing the game much or not necessarily in the short term? I, I hope it does. That would be cool. I'd love to never have to turn on another light switch for the rest of my life. I'd love to just be able to put goggles on somebody or send them a virtual reality tour and they would be able to decide if this is where they want to live. You know, I, I think for houses where someone's actually going to live, they need to feel the air on their face. They need to smell it with their nose. they got to touch the walls with their hands. Virtual reality isn't going to do anything. And I think for new development condominium projects, instead of just showing somebody something on a TV screen, your ability to walk them through the actual space that they're going to buy through virtual reality is going to change that game for sure. Is it going to make projects easier to sell? I don't know. I don't think so. Probably not. Yeah. But make it a better experience for the consumer? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. And and have you been doing a lot of that over there or not necessarily? No. The, the technology is just not there yet. It either makes you throw up or it just looks weird, <laughs> you know, and it just, it's more yep. of like a, it's more of a, a toy right now than it is something that's actually useful. Yeah, absolutely. No, 100%. The irony is, isn't it, that, that um, those those older school developers, they're more interested in entertaining a conversation around something like that than just something in the middle, yeah. which could actually make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually, it, listen, but, like, we're not far off from when every sales office for any new development project is going to be all virtual. Mm. And you're going to be able to walk through it and have this incredible experience and then step out. You know, it'll end up probably being, it's going to be a huge upfront cost, but long term, it'll end up being less expensive for, for builders and developers than maintaining an entire sales center with models and, you know, uh, you know, like gizmos and gadgets and all that stuff. Yeah. And mock up kitchens and bathrooms, et cetera. So yeah. what, I, what I'm what I'm getting for you there, which is I, I sort of believe too, is that you still need that personalization. You still need you know humans to hold other humans' hands um, along you know what one of their biggest buying decisions of their life. How do you? Um, we, we've still yeah. we've still got some major sort of global companies here that are that are agents, and there's a lot of smaller ones that are, are growing and popping up. How do you see the future of that? sort of space because I, I I sort of see it decentralizing a little bit and I think that's common a lot of across a lot of industries what what have you noticed um, yeah. over there and how might that affect people here I mean, there's a lot of real estate brokerages now and there's a lot of real estate agents 
everywhere. There's a lot of everyone because the you don't necessarily need to work for a large company anymore to to be successful or to make a living. So you know you take you know the bottom sixty percent of any company who are always the people who don't need to get rich, but you need that volume of employees in a bigger company to survive. And those sixty percent are going to say, "Why am I?" dealing with working in a big company, I can do this by myself, or I can do this with a group of 10, or I can do this working from home, and they're going to leave. And then, you know, it, so it makes it harder for the larger companies to survive, and then it just provides more competition for everybody else, which is okay. Um, and so we've seen a lot of smaller brokerages open up in the last couple of years in New York City. And, I mean, listen, I, I'm a good example, right? I, I don't work for a top brokerage. I work for a relatively small real estate company that I started with when they were like 28 and we've grown slowly over time but I've never needed to go to a big company and swing around with huge marketing teams and this and that because it's just it's not needed anymore you just don't need it everything is on the phone everything is you know at people's fingertips and what really matters is like what you just said that personal touch from the individual agent or project manager um, and you know that will never go away no matter how big or small someone's company is. So I guess um, on that, obviously, so you've built out um, your team and, and, and your company. How have you, I guess, uh, I guess re- retain people and um, kind of go down a model where you do allow people to come work at, say, your your firm? And what's kind of been the biggest challenge in, in growing it? Um, honestly, the biggest challenge in growing is, is that, you know, there are newer firms our brokerage firm that makes no money, but they are backed by venture capital because there's this idea that tech will change the world. And if real estate brokerages can embrace tech, then they can go public and make tons of money. So then you've got all this kind of seed money with these newer brokerages and they throw it at real estate agents and at marketing and this and that. And that's really hard to compete against when you're like me our company, where we invest the money we bring in. We have no debt. We take on no money from Saudi Arabia, no money from China. We try to make as much money as we can. We keep a little on the side that everyone can eat, and we put the rest back into the company to help it grow and expand. And that's the way we've always been, and that's why we've weathered every single downturn without, you know, shotguns to our forehead from investors. And... Uh, and it goes a long way, but at the same time, that becomes a detriment to us when we're new agents who don't care about how you run a company. All they care about is the fact that that other company is giving out free chocolate every day with lunch and dinner, and they've got arcade games in their offices, and they're awesome. So how? I mean, that's another question. So I've built um, my company as well from zero to thirteen over the last couple of years, and obviously, it can be a big challenge with, um, I guess, leading people and. And you've got, I guess, a brand um, as well, and 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 standards. How how have you gone about, or what's been those those challenge? Has it been challenging? And how do you maintain, I guess, that level of standard and commitment from team members to buy into your, I guess, vision? You know, I, I try to lead by example as best I can. You know, I I I clue them into what the economics are of the business all the time. You know, I don't want them to just be monkeys dance for me when I need them to dance. I want them to be part of the company. 
no one in my office are assistants or juniors. Everyone in my office is somebody who's there that's part of the, the thread of the, the blanket of the firm. And they're all like, if I lose one of them, then there's going to be a hole. And so I don't want that in my, my blanket. Um, and so I try to keep all of them incentivized and excited. And I'm, you know, it, it comes down honestly to I'm in the office before they are. I leave the office after they do. I work harder than anyone else in my company, and that's why I run it. And maybe one day someone else will work harder, and I'll give them the key. So just on that, Ryan, I mean, from everything we've seen, you know, your work, life, gym, travel, everything you're doing, you've got incredible drive. Um, as, as I know it, you, you don't necessarily have a, a, a story of, I guess, deep pain or something that is a driver of that. I mean, where do you get your drive from? Uh, utter fear of failure, honestly, and public embarrassment and ridicule. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I think that I'm consistently driven just to be better than other people. That, like, life is short, and why would I do this otherwise? Like, I would be so bored. You know, like, I can't, I can't just sit around, you know? There's only so many hours in the day, and one of my biggest fears in life is wasted potential. Like, I don't want to leave anything on the table. And before I know it, like, I will be dead. And it's like, like, that sucks. Like, I, I lived an entire life just to be okay. Do you have down days? Like, do you just have those days where you're just like, oh, I just want to lay in bed, or you seriously yeah. don't? No, I think anyone who says they don't is lying to you. <laughs> uh, of course I do. And I lose more deals than I make. And every deal I lose, I hate. I quit the business in my head all the time because it pisses me off. Like, I, <laughs> I have a mental breakdown all the time. I have, like, a crying fit in December because the market was tanking in Manhattan. The stock market was following 600 points a day, every single client I had was calling me, blaming me for the fact that things weren't selling and that they were losing money. And I like broke down in my apartment one night in front of my wife, in front of Amelia. She had no idea what to do. And I like, it just, you know, sometimes you get to those points where you just have to like let it out and just remind yourself that tomorrow is a brand new day and everything is going to be okay. Do you have any kind of, um, I guess habits or rituals that help you flip it. Do you have like a? Do you do a vision board? Do you journal? Do you reflect? Um, obviously, you've got the gym every morning, which is I guess a meditative practice, and some maybe, but or, or not. But um, you know, do you meditate? Do you have any? I guess these habits or things that you've learned over the years to help you flip those struggles or those moments. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what tools do you use? Yeah, I I write things down. I do pro and con list. I do that when I like go through a panic attack and I do that when I have those down days. And it's amazing how your mind can play tricks on you and make you feel like the end of the world is near when it's really not. Like in all of those moments, if you literally just sit down, drink a glass of cold water, take five deep breaths slowly and write down everything that's great about your life today and write down everything that's bad 
about it today, and then think back five years and try to write down everything that was good about your life five years ago and everything that's bad about your life five years ago, I promise you, the longest list on that piece of paper is going to be everything that's great about your life you get. And then you'll look at that whole list, and by the time you're done writing, if you really do do this, you will feel so much better. And you're going to realize, oh yeah, that one bad thing that's happening right now is not so, not so bad. And yeah. holy crap, the fact that that's even a thing that I'm working on, <laughs> regardless of it being bad or not, holy crap, I have no idea I would even in this place in my life five years ago it's it's so true i mean on that as well the level or the work like the amount of work that you produce now compared to five years ago do you look back and go that does ryan five years look at current ryan and go how the fuck do you handle everything that you handle like has it been progressive or is the the level of kind of what you get up to each and every day the same as five years ago like that hasn't changed the amount of work so the work I wake up, the time I go to bed, how busy I feel has not changed. That never changes and it never goes away. Yeah. I worked, you know, just as hard when I was twenty all day long in college, stressing out about everything as I do now, showing sixty million dollar houses all day long, running around managing my team. You know, what changes is your level of responsibility and who you're then responsible to. So when I was twenty I was responsible to myself and like my parents who were paying for my school. Right now, I'm responsible to all of my sellers and developers, my team of 64 people, my wife. And so it's a matter of leverage and how you leverage your time, how you leverage your person. And so my volume of business has increased because I have learned to leverage more and more and more. I can take on more because I have people who can help me. And I can take on more next year because I'll have even more people who can help me. So on. What's the sort of number one thing you would say to people? Because I, you know, I certainly suffer from from that myself. Um, I'll, I'll hit um, points of overwhelm, and I'll find myself almost procrastinating at that point. And that that um, little exercise you've just talked about there. Um, looks amazing, but what what do you think? Something that you know, entrepreneurs, small business owners, real estate agents, um, whoever's out there that they're they're hustling for themselves. What's the one thing that they could do to like, rather than hiring some additional support, to try and just maybe get organised in their day or sort of something to leverage and, and amplify themselves up a little bit. I mean, I would do honestly what I do. Honestly, right? Is uh, I would go to the gym in the morning. I would go for a run. Uh, do something physical first thing in the morning uh, earlier than you ever had before in your life. It's amazing what that can do to jumpstart your system. Your brain fires in a different way. Your subconscious fires in a different way. Your fingers move in different ways. Whether you're tired or not, like you just have to do it, you know? Um, and then on top of that, I always do the hardest thing first. What's the hardest thing that you have to do today? Do that at 7.30 in the morning and get it out of the way. That way, by 8 or 8.30, whether it's a difficult conversation or something physical or whatever it is, if you can do it first thing in the morning, if you can, it's amazing how great the rest of the day is and how much more productive you're going to feel because, oh my God, you just got the hardest thing of your day finished before most people have breakfast. Right? It just opens you up, and that's what I do, and it's been huge for me for the last 10 years. Right, A lot of people who are business owners, real estate brokers, you know, entrepreneurs, everybody, 
hardest thing they have to do during the day is either deliver bad news or have difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Right? The hardest thing you're going to do today is probably not, you know, take out all the trash. Like, that's probably not the hardest thing. Maybe it's the most annoying thing, right? So you can't confuse annoying with hard. Like, I mean, hard. Like, what are you really dreading doing? And as we get older, it ends up becoming difficult conversations and delivering bad news. But you'd be surprised. So many people are used to receiving bad news and having difficult conversations later in the day because we're so programmed to procrastinate and delay, delay, delay that we wait until the end of the day to do those things. Have that difficult conversation or deliver that piece of bad news first thing in the morning, you'll end up taking the other person off guard. You won't really know how to even handle it, and they'll be fresh. You won't be tired. You won't be upset because they had a bad day, too, and now you're making it even worse. It, the conversation just goes better. It's incredible. Like, do that. So if, uh, if I'm one of your clients and you organize a breakfast meeting, I should be worried? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm going to you. I'm going to call you right before the breakfast meeting, and then I'm going to make it better over an omelet. So, look, what's next? I mean, you've done so much, and uh, yeah, I've I've been watching for a while. I mean, the book the book was great. I was really happy to see that um, come out, and uh, it looked like it was a great success for you. Um, the vlog's going amazing, and I'm yeah, really, I'm really enjoying it. Um, what what else is coming up? Can I add to that? You know, something that's big um, that we talk about um, even on – so we host a podcast as well and um, in our group of kind of business owners and stuff is the purpose of visioning and, I guess, planning. It, you, you know, what's next? You know, do you sit at the start of the year and do you map out, you know, have you got five the five-year goals, the five-year plan, so every day you know where you're going, what you're doing? Um, or is it kind of a little bit of, as you said, mentioned, success – Forget success, you have a couple wins, then it's like, all right, what's the next milestone? Is it more along the journey or is it clearly defined? I don't map out five-year goals because I have no idea. Dude, 10 years ago, I was a professional hand model. I held phones for AT&T. Like, people took photos of my hands. I was paid $150 an hour. That's how I made money. Now, my life is so different. So, I'm 100% okay with my life completely changing in the next five years. I have no idea. But I do set income goals. You know, I, I I think it's important to focus on the money you make and not enough people talk about it. You know, people always get so sensitive about money. Um, but I set income goals for myself, my team, and everyone who works for me. And we work towards those goals and we attach them to sales hurdles um, and we push each other. And so those are the goals I set. Those are annual goals. And then I break them down by kind of, you know, monthly hurdles because that helps you because really what is a year, right? You can't really physically define what a year feels like, but you can define what a day feels like. You can kind of feel like what a month feels like. Um, and so those are, you know, kind of how I set my goals. But I, you know, I work for future Ryan, like, every day, right? Like, I, the person I was five minutes ago is dead and gone. Like, I'm working for the guy that's waking up tomorrow. Like, I want that guy to have a good day. I want that guy to make money. Yeah. And the future Ryan, 10 years from now, I want him to look back at Ryan in January 2019 and say, thank God he did what he did because my life is so awesome right now. You know, and I, I look back to myself, like myself in 2010, you know, when everyone told me not to do million dollar thing because they said reality TV was the worst, it was going to destroy my life, don't do it. I, that guy, Ryan in 2010, said, screw you people, I'm going to do this, I'm sure it'll work out, 
Like, I want to go back in time and thank that guy. That's it. Because, you know, like Gary, Gary V, which I know you've had some, you know, catch up with here and there. You know, he's, got, he's got the big vision of, of yeah. the Jets and, um, obviously, you know, I've, we've both consumed a lot of Gary. We've met him actually a couple of times as well down in this part of the world. Um, but, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, the drive is kind of, yeah, it's almost from the bottom up, which is that fear piece. And then marrying that with just literally future Ryan's going to be more fucking awesome than current Ryan. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make that happen and then go with the flow. Would that, yeah. is that kind of, have <laughs> I summarized it in a way? Yeah. Hundred percent, nail it on the head. It's fascinating. Do you um do you have any like how do you view balance, Ryan? And I, I don't. I think the word can be really difficult to. Um, I guess how do you how do you know when you've 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 gone too hard or you're doing too much or how do you know when you um you know, need to look after yourself? Do you have sort of check measures in place or how do you how do you sort of approach life and balance? And I know you're definitely trying to fit in as much as you can all the time, but. What does that sort of look like for you? I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. I guess, you know, when I feel like I don't have control or the quality of what I'm doing is low, then then I have a problem. You know, I, you know, for example, I tried to do a lot of business in New Jersey recently. It's not that far from New York. It's literally across the river. And I already do a lot of business in Long Island City, Queens, and Brooklyn, which is across the other river. We're pretty great at it, but I I saw that the commute time to New Jersey was just so long that I was trying to do the business and I wanted to do more and I wanted to build and expand and you know rah rah rah, but it was just so hard for me to get there and I wasn't in tune with the marketplace as much and I and I just my, the quality of my service to those clients and to those agents just I, I saw that it was weak and I I just decided at the end of last year I was like you know what. This isn't working. Like I spread myself too thin. I gotta pull back. Um, so like I, I think the one time that that's happened so far, and I just need to be smarter. And how was how was that that blow? Well, I guess in some aspects, it's a blow. It was a failure, right? So how um, how did that hit you? That's fine. I mean, it like, <laughs> just get on with it. It's like a weight off my chest, right? Because like when things aren't working and you're not making a lot of money from them, then it it like it, it ends up becoming a stress. A headache, like it, it creates anxiety during the day, then takes resources, both mental, financial, physical, away from the other business that does make you money. So it's like, even though, you know, you're a star quarterback on an American football team, even though you could play baseball, like, should you? <laughs> Maybe you should just stick to football. And just be the best guy. Yeah, look, I've I've really enjoyed the chat. I'm, I just want to be respectful of your time uh, as well. Um, and I, I think um, we yeah, really appreciate that you've given time to, to a couple of guys down in Perth, in Australia. I've know you, I know you've been out here before. Um, unfortunately, didn't get to uh, to meet you at the time, but uh, yeah, um, hopefully it would be would be great to catch up with you in, in person somewhere at some point in time because um, no, I've been really inspired by a lot of things that I've watched you do. Um, in the real estate side of things, but even just media. Um, and I, I love, love where the vlog's going. I love that you're really seeing some great success with it now. Um, 
even got your little award from uh, YouTube <laughs> so there in your vlog. Yeah, um, but YouTube award. Yeah, we should put that on the on the mantelpiece. But uh, no, look, I yeah really appreciate the time and um, and answering these questions, and, and we'll share some of this content out with uh, with people here in Australia. And uh, yeah, just um, we're, we're raving fans over here, and and um, yeah, look forward to keep watching you doing what you do. Will you be out to Australia anytime soon? Um, I don't have a plan for it at the moment, but if I do, you'll hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to it. And um, you didn't get the opportunity to answer what's next because I asked the other one. But what is next? Like, what's 2019 feel like and look like for you? Uh, 2019 is all about diversity for me. And it's about switching things up. You know, the market in New York City is, is very difficult. You know, it's, it's very slow. Um, we still sell things. But it's still, it's slow. There's a lot of inventory. Pricing has come down a lot in the last four years. And, um, you know, it's about trying to find different ways to sell the same product. It's about trying to still grow when a lot of places are cutting back. Um, and how to still do more in the face of adversity, you know, and how to, how to stay swimming. That's really what 2019 is about. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. Um, that's, yeah, really, really appreciate it. And we'll, um, we'll share this up. And, and if you, you come across it, then, then great. But, uh, yeah, look, we're big fans over here. I've still got a few more books that I'll, I'll probably give away, um, to, to people as well. And, <laughs> Just you know, a few books. no, but look, I, I see a lot of real estate agents over here really struggling, uh, as well and, and not doing things to, to make themselves stand out. And, uh, they'll, I'll often be having meetings with people and I just think they need to, take a leaf out of uh, even even if they did a fraction of what you were doing um they'd be in a better place uh and i think uh that's your testament to what you what you've been working on and how hard you've worked so just yeah really really enjoyed the chat yeah thank you thanks guys yeah absolutely thanks for giving me a call i'll talk to you later that was my interview with ryan serhart guys and if you enjoyed it and would love to hear more um, i'd love to be interviewing more amazing guests and i need your help please after this episode right now, actually, forget listening to the rest of me, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. It'll help me reach more people and I'd love to interview more great people so you can listen and tune in. Of course, tell your friends about it. Send this episode to a Ryan fan and let me know what you thought in the comments on any of their social posts. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you next time.